Today we turn to the book of Genesis, the 17th chapter, for the story of Abram and Sarai, also to become Abraham and Sarah, as we continue in our study of God's covenants with his people. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Let's read together Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, and then verses 15 and 16. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful and will make nations of you. Kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And then verse 15 and following, God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai, but her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There are over 100 unique names for God throughout the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament, and in the New Testament. When we study their meaning, they point to God's essential character and nature. We can also pray to God using some of, or as many as you'd like, of these names we find in Scripture for God. Be reminded, though, that while there are a lot of names for God in the Bible, we worship one God, revealed in the three persons of the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. The different names of God simply help us to relate to God and to see how great and awesome our God is and how God is at work in the world. Often the various names of God can help us to see how God is at work among us. Maybe this little illustration will help to be clear. I'm one person, Bob, but I'm Melanie's husband. I'm Isabella's dad. I'm the son of my parents, a brother to Kevin, a grandson, an uncle, a nephew, a son-in-law, a brother-in-law, and so forth. I'm also a friend a brother in Christ, 
and your pastor. One person, but known in a lot of different ways. And this kind of helps us to understand that God can be known in a lot of ways, but God is one God. When we get to know the meaning of, of the names of God, we start to see how God made God's self uniquely known and available for all of us. God intimately and actively involved in the lives of his people. God was involved in the lives of Abram and Sarai. God had made it clear to Abram that God was actively involved, that God was present, that God desired a relationship with him and his family. God cared about them. God had made them. They were created in God's image, just like you and me. So we're talking about the promises of God. That's kind of another way of saying covenant. We're studying the, some of the covenants that God has made with his people over the years of biblical history. And today we're talking about the covenant that God made with Abram and Sarai. We started our talk last week when Dr. Megan Strollo was here with us. She was our guest preacher. And as you remember, she talked about the covenant that God had made with Noah. And God had promised never again to destroy the world by flood. But Dr. Strollo was very clear to remind us that the covenant that God had made with Noah was not the first covenant. That the covenant with Noah and all of the subsequent covenants with people were part of God's covenant in creation. That God created everything. That God created you and me in his image. So all of the promises of God, God's covenants, come from that very beginning where in the beginning God created. He made us. He made you and me. And he, he didn't say that we were just good. He said you are very good. Tov ma'od in the Hebrew scriptures. And God meant it. Dr. Strollo reminded us that God gave a rainbow in the clouds to remind Noah and his family that never again would God destroy the earth by flood. And you remember what she said? She said that this covenant is, is more than just obligations. It's about promises. It's about memory. And she said that God actually gave the rainbow so that God would remember the covenant. She said, does that imply that God is forgetful? No, God is all-knowing. But God placed that rainbow among the clouds that God would have a reminder. And God took the rainbow, which was the, the shape of a bow, a weapon in war, and flipped it upside down and placed it there in the clouds to remind God that God is changing the old ways and transforming God's promises that we would be of peace and that we would have that reminder continually. She said, to hear God committing to hanging up that weapon of destruction for all time after such violent and sorrow event of the flood would be a powerful statement of peace and reconciliation. That bow in the clouds will forever serve to remind God of the promise made and the commitment that God made at creation. And then after Noah, the next 
major covenant we see is the one that God made with Abram, whom God renamed Abraham in our scripture, as you have just heard. To know the full story, I hope you'll go back this week and start at Genesis chapter 12, the end of chapter 11 and chapter 12, and then read forward, and you'll uh, better understand the fullness of all that happened. But briefly, you just remember that Abram and his family came from a place called Ur. U is spelled U-R, Ur. It's in south, uh, southern Iraq. And they made the journey. They were, God had called them to go to Canaan. And they got to a place called Haram up in the north, the eastern part of modern-day Turkey. And then they stayed there. For whatever reason, they stopped and they stayed there and they set up their dwelling places and work, and they did very well. And Abram's father died there. And then, you remember in chapter 12, God spoke to Abram and said, go to the place I will show you. Just go. God gave him no road map. He didn't have any directions. He just had a word from the Lord. So Abram gathered up all of his family and his wife. They did not have children, but all of his extended family and his belongings and possessions, and they made the journey south to Canaan. God said this to him, the Lord had said, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And this passage is significant for Christians because we know that through the family of, of Abram and Sarai, came the Messiah, Jesus. But here we are in Genesis, and the writer tells us in chapter 12 that Abram left. He was 75 years old, and he made the journey toward Canaan. They had to go down to Egypt for a while to avoid famine, and then they came back up to the area of Canaan, and they set up their tents and made their encampment there. And we can see how God made a promise to Abram here in verse 14, the Lord of chapter 12, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north and south, to the east and west, all the land that you see I will give you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring would be counted Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. And then in chapter 13, verse um, 14, I'm sorry, that what I read was just from chapter 13, and now verses 14 uh, through 18. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So the promise that we have been reading about here through chapter 13 is, is then reaffirmed in chapter 15 where God made an unconditional covenant with Abram. Just two chapters later, God confirmed his covenant of promise with Abram and his wife Sarai. And this time, God would add a condition which would be total consecration to the Lord symbolized by Abram and all the males in the extended family with a permanent religious ritual called circumcision. This was Abram's part of the covenant. God would do his part. Abram had to do 
his part. It was a covenant with condition tied to the covenant of promise at creation. And when he was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. God Almighty is a translation of the Hebrew word El Shaddai. So when you see that in the text, God Almighty, the Hebrew is El Shaddai. Some of you remember that song by Amy Grant years ago with that title, El Shaddai, where uh, we would sing those, those, that phrase. The word El is the word for God in the Hebrew Bible. It's a shortened version of Elohim. El Elohim means omnipotent power and refers to the Lord's dominion over the whole universe. God is the creator and the sustainer of all that exists. We find Elohim like 3,400 times in the Old Testament. Shaddai is translated in our passage as Almighty. Together, El Shaddai, this name of God, reminds us that God is all-powerful and desires to meet our needs and to fulfill His promises according to God's will and God's timing. El Shaddai is found most often in the book of Job, and it is used at least 31 times there. Shaddai, the other part of this name of God, comes from an ancient word for mountain. Perhaps God was seen as revealing his mighty power like a volcano that erupts, or like a strong and mighty mountain, or like the everlasting hills described in Genesis 49, 26. Mountains were also symbolic of God's nurture and provision. The Hebrew word, uh, the root Shaddah, is also used of a mother who nurses her young. So this speaks of the caring, nursing attributes of God. So when God called Abram, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai, Abram was reminded that God was not some far off and distant God who set the universe loose and, and just left and become a spectator, but rather God wanted Abram to know that he could count on God, that God was powerful and mighty and would provide and sustain him and his family in the time to come. God invited Abram to walk with God in relationship and affirmed this promise of both Abram and Sarai. They were well past childbearing years. And he said, you're going to have many offspring. And as you heard Pastor Ar Matthew say that after they heard this news, there was laughter. Could you imagine what that would have been like? But we know the rest of the story that God fulfilled that promise and God gave them a son. His name would be Isaac. He fulfilled his promise. Abram was so overwhelmed in the presence of God that he fell face down and worshipped after receiving this promise from God. He heard the continued promises of God and heard what God had asked him to do. Now, Abram was not perfect by any means. You can read that in the story. But his posture of obedience in worship, uh, when God saw that, God changed his name to Abraham. Just as God introduced God's new name for the first time, El Shaddai, in this story, God would give both Abram and Sarai new names. 
And whenever God would change a person's name in Scripture, that means that there was transformation, that there was a new call, that there was work to be done, that God was with them in a very special way. One writer helps us to think about it this way. In the covenant, God Almighty takes God's name, which in Hebrew is written in four characters or four letters, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. Y-H-W-H. And this writer says that ancient rabbis who expounded this text point out that when the Hebrew says, I will make you the ancestor of many nations, it is suggesting, God is, they're suggesting that God says, I'm going to give you a letter from my name. And the rabbis said that God gave one of the, the H's to Abram to become Abraham. And God gave one of the, uh, the other H to Sarai, and she would become Sarah, Abraham and Sarah. God gave part of God's name to them to reaffirm his covenant of promise that they would be called children of God. And Abram went forth, Abraham now, in obedience and did the things that God asked him to do. And it helps us to focus today that God is the Almighty. He's the El Shaddai, that God is powerful and great, that God loves us and cares for us, that God provides for us and sustains us in all things, that God, through us, that God desires for a broken and hurting world to know that there is a better way to live and love, that people can trust the God who is active and present in this world today, even in this world of wilderness. Yes, even during a pandemic of global proportions. In a time when evil seems to have its way, God is present and God is powerful and God is still yet good. With God, we can always overcome evil with good. Nothing is impossible with God. In other words, the God of covenant is with us. The God who entered a covenant with the earth and all living things at creation is with us. The God who created and continues to create is with us. The God who said, never again will I destroy the world by flood is with us. The God who turned a symbol of war into a symbol of peace through a ra rainbow among clouds is with us. The God who said to Abram, I will confirm my covenant with you and me and you will greatly increase in your number. You will be the father of many nations. I will establish my everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generation to come is with us. This God Almighty, this El Shaddai is a God of promise and is with you and me no matter what. German theologian Jürgen Moltmann describes the promises of God in this way. He says, it is the divine promise in Genesis 12, which leads to God's covenant with Abraham. God's promise already involves a self-commitment on God's part and a command to Abraham. The transference of the promise into the covenant makes the promise unwaveringly and unbreakably God's oath and makes it permanent. Boltman continues, the God who makes himself dependable through his covenant promises 
is fundamentally differentiated from the moods of other little g gods and forces of destiny. God's essential nature is his faithfulness. God's name is his identity. And this is manifest and experiences Moltmann in the promissio of God, the promises of God. This is the Latin promissio. It's a sending ahead of what is to come. In the way, says Moltmann, that the daybreak takes its colors from the rising sun of a new day. This is the promissio dei, the promise of God, which is the gospel, the good news in the heralding of his coming, writes Isaiah. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news. So this week, I encourage you to reflect on the promissio dei, the promises of God, that way back at the beginning, God had already promised our redemption our eternity, our forgiveness through the one who would come, God in the flesh, that we might receive the everlasting promises of God in heaven. That Amy Grant song reminds us of this. Age to age you're still the same by the power of the name El Shaddai. Through your love and through the ram, you saved the son of Abraham through the power of your hand, turned the sea into dry land. The outcast on her knees, you were the God who really sees. And by your might, you set your children free. We praise and lift you high, El Shaddai. Nothing is impossible with this God. Nothing. Fred Craddock said, that this statement, nothing is impossible with God, is just one of those statements that's true without context. Nothing is impossible with God. You can put it in a bodily rites and toss it into the sea and have it wash up on a distant shore, and it's true. You can put it in a banner and have an airplane carried across the sky, and it's true. You can write it on a slip of paper and stick it under your pillow. It's true. You can write it with Crayola in every orphanage. You can embroider it on a pillow in every nursing home. It's the truth that nothing is impossible with God. This is true without a context, but it has a context. It follows the covenant from God Almighty in creation through the covenant with Noah, through the covenant with Abram and Sarai, and continuing on to the new covenant, in which we will be exploring throughout the Lenten season. And from Isaac came the nation we call Israel, and despite being enslaved, persecuted, murdered, ostracized, made fun of, bullied, and unwelcome, Israel has given us the basis for a moral and ethical society all through the covenant of God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your mind and heart and strength, and you shall love the neighbor as yourself. In the Ten Commandments, we have the basis for all of our life together. To, to Sarah and Abraham, the angel said, nothing is impossible with God. In Luke, we find it again. To Mary, a teenage girl in a little town called Nazareth, unmarried, she had been pledged to the son of a carpenter by the name of Joseph. 
the messenger said, you're going to have a child. But I don't have a husband, Mary replied. And the angel said, you're going to have a child and he's going to bless the world. And she did. Although she was, although he was mistreated, despised, rejected, made fun of, mocked, beaten, whipped, spat upon, executed. Wherever this Jesus goes, people's hearts are lifted. They become kind and generous. They will love their enemies. They will turn the other cheek. They will go the second mile because the messenger said, you are going to have a child. You'll name him Jesus. And Mary said, I don't understand. But the messenger said, nothing is impossible with God. If God can give a child to an old couple living in a tent in Saudi Arabia and change the world, if God can give a baby to a teenage girl in northern Israel and change the world, then why would I, why would we ever give up? If God can raise a dead man from the grave, why would we give up and lose hope? Why would we ever shrug our shoulders and say, eh? Why would we give up to doubt, despair, and wonder? Let us persevere because we have a God who has never failed his promises. We have a God who is always with us, a God who desires to give us a hope and a future. God makes a way where there is no way. God can remember his promises. God's relentless determination to make us into a holy people, a light unto the nations. And Will Willimon says, for an unfutured, weak, bleak, prospect people, the promises of God are sure to be laughable as they were there to Abram and Sarai. But he says, our existence, our family of God, our church, our future, everything hinges upon the promises of God and God's faithfulness in keeping those promises. Let us stand firm, unmovable on the promises of God. The second stanza of the great hymn from 1886 is anchored in this truth. Standing on the promises that cannot fail when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail. By the living word of God, I shall prevail standing on the promises of God. Amen.